Welcome one and all to another episode of Left Turn Canada. Andy Burkowski, Christo Avalis here. And for the last several weeks, it feels like maybe years now, we've been talking about the political situation here in Ontario. And of course, the major election that just passed in which Doug Ford got a mandate from the people absolutely to continue his reign and but the people that vote from the from the 17 percent, i think it yeah, was yeah yeah from, <laughs> from a, 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 an unrepresentative portion of the people that voted which was well, not the average ontarian listen we don't have to that's asterisk stuff we don't have to deal with that anyway <laughs> we, we we mentioned a lot of the work of a uh, writer and talker on canadian politics david Moscrop and a lot of his articles that he's done that featured in the washington post uh, specifically one in particular that was last year that doug ford must resign we mentioned it so much we thought you know what let's get david on the show david thank you so much for joining us my pleasure Thanks so I, I was wondering when, you know, you, you wrote this article and it was a big hit, you know, people were, were pushing it everywhere, really had a lot to say about how terrible Doug Ford truly is generally, but specifically during the pandemic where he did pretty much criminal things that led to death. After you wrote that and, you know, following the, the outcome of this uh, provincial election, could you imagine when you were writing that article that we would have the outcome that we did you know, two weeks ago here in Ontario? Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I did. And yeah. it, it, at the time it would have, you know, someone would have said, wow, you're just being pessimistic or melodramatic. But I, you know, I remember thinking, look, I mean, the pandemic has been favorable to incumbents. We don't get the change that we think that we perhaps need and are due. Um, we're going to be tired. You can see that coming a ways out. But also Ontario was sort of like one giant suburban riding, obviously not literally, but you know, there's enough thinking, uh, that sort of thought that it's not inconceivable that that Doug Ford would do well, that he would meet the material needs of people. Uh, I mean, those who survived his government, literally, (laughs) and he would meet the sort of symbolic needs of the culture war that he'd been working on subtly and less subtly for years. So I, I thought, of course, he could come back the mm-hmm. same way that I think Trump could be back in 2024 yeah. or that Pierre Polyev could be prime minister in 2025. So, yeah, I, I did. But one thing that was was surprising at the time was that, you know, the piece got a lot of traction because I like to quote Lenin when thinking about this, thinking about anything, really. Yeah, uh, you know, it was just, it was just lying in the streets. It was yeah. just yeah. waiting for yeah. someone to say it, you know, yeah. and I yeah. was just one of the first people to say it. Uh, mm. Not the first, I'm sure other people had said it, but, you know, the first person to say it in a, in a major publication and off we went. Is there yeah. anything, you know, I, again, you, you mentioned a lot of uh, politicians that could have their day either again or, or for the first time here in Canada and in, in the United States. I, I was just hopeful that because in this situation, you know, a lot of politicians make choices that lead to the deaths of their constituents. But I don't remember as many times where a politician made a choice and it was kind of like a one to one. Now these people are dying and they're usually and their grandparents in this case, what we saw with Doug Ford did. I thought that maybe that might push the scales a little bit just because it's so you know, ghoulish in its nature. Usually there's a little bit of distance between the damage that some of these politicians uh, inflict on their people that even with that, the case, uh, apparently that's not good enough. Is that, what do you think about that? I mean, I think there was, there's something about the, the kind of neglect producing suffering and death 
that people are more willing to to forgive, I think, or to look away from and say, if you're marching people off to war, like, mm-hmm. you know, the first world war in Vietnam, so on and so forth, where it's like, you know, at some, although even then people tolerated it for quite a long time. You know, I don't think we should underestimate the degree to which a certain number of people will tolerate extraordinary cruelty, uh, especially when it doesn't touch them directly. But I think there was also a sense among many people that, well, look, this is just happening everywhere. And what are you going to do? And we don't mm-hmm. think the alternatives are going to be any better. And so either we're just sort of accept it, hold our nose and move on. Um, or we think actually, um, you know, there's just no blame to go around. So who, who cares? Right. And I mean, look, Legault didn't suffer in Quebec. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Quebec situation was, was worse than Ontario and for long-term care, for instance. Um, yeah. But again, I think it comes back ultimately to, People say they care about things, which is fine. Then you say, okay, well, how much do you care? You know, rank it. Yeah. What would you trade off? And I think the fact is a lot of people are willing to sell out the most vulnerable among us, uh, you know, people in long-term care, folks with disabilities, uh, folks uh, who are poor, because their immediate needs are being met, right? So they don't care. They say they care, but they don't care really because they don't turn up the ballot box to to express that. Don't turn up a protest to express it. They're just willing to trade that off. Timing's also, you know, for, you know, not to suggest that it's a guarantee, but, you know, Andy and I were always saying this. It's like, well, you know, when is the next election, right? Like, you know, if it was in 2021, maybe he doesn't win, right? Like Mm -hmm. maybe it's a minority, maybe it's, maybe it's significantly closer. Maybe the anger is more palpable, right? But, you know, you know, whether or not it's, accurate i think a lot of people have kind of moved on beyond covid Mm -hmm. i think so too i I think so too and again i mean it it goes back to i mean i think you're right the timing is critical because people are sort of primed in the moment you'll remember doug ford was wildly unpopular yeah uh but he was able to to sort of crawl his way back uh so that that matters a great deal but also again you know if if people are just willing to sell out uh, other people to get what they need and that's always been true in our society right yeah. i mean we've always sort of said you know to hell with poor people to hell with disabled folks um you know to help the old folks we don't we don't really care and we're yeah. doing it now again right with the way that we're handling covid restrictions it's sort of like well you know sure some people are going to have to suffer um but so what never mind that it could be any of us because of the nature of the of the virus but, yeah. you know, the policymaking today doesn't seem to care too much about old folks, immunocompromised folks, disabled folks, poor folks. It's just same as it ever was. Same yep. as it ever was. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, well, no, I-, I mean, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, like and like, look, also, I mean, most of the governments during the pandemic, like survived and often increased their majorities. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I believe the, the only government that's fallen, I believe, at least I'm not sure of the territories, I believe is the, the Nova Scotia government. Which was a long running comes government. to mind. I mean, and yeah, I mean, fall, it, yeah. and it didn't fall for COVID. I mean, it was healthcare related, but I believe it was yeah. a particular scandal of a man like a few blocks away from a hospital that it took like forty five minutes to get an ambulance. That was like the turning point, but it had nothing effectively to do with COVID, right? Like it, that scandal could have happened before, during, or after COVID. Um, every yeah. other government, Horgan, Mo, I don't believe Mo expanded his majority, but you know he had such a a massive one to begin with, right? Um, but every government, I think, has improved their position more or less. For the most part. Yeah, and, and in Alberta right now, 
you know, Jason Kenny was unpopular, but he's unpopular for different reasons. He it was a little bit because of COVID, but it was because he did too much, quote unquote. He was getting it from the other end, from the, yeah, sort yeah, of his, the, yeah, the yeah. right wing, right? And now that he's gone, though, the UCP fortunes, at least in the polls, have gone way back up. So people yeah. aren't even willing to hold the, that party and that ministry more, or that, that cabinet more generally to account for it, which tells you, again, everything you need to know. But again, the Albert is a fascinating case because, you know, we would have said, he screwed it up because he didn't do enough. And they said, you know, he screwed up because he did too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I wanted to ask a little bit about, you know, this, this last election and the role of the NDP. Because you, you mentioned that, you know, people didn't feel like perhaps they had anywhere to go. That maybe as as terrible as Doug Ford was, you know, there was, there was other pressures. There was maybe just negligence. But, you know, no party was offering anything as an alternative, what do you think the responsibility is, and I guess the successes are or not successes of the ONDP in providing that alternative in this past election? Well, they just didn't. Not I mean, really, I, eh? I, they didn't. I mean, I, I preferred them to the alternatives. Uh, I voted for them, uh, but. Uh, it, you know, it wasn't anywhere near adequate. They spent a lot of time attacking the liberals. I mean, I, I do believe it was a fight. The election was a fight for second place, almost from from uh, soup to nuts. Mm-hmm. But um, and the liberals did the same thing. The parties, in many ways, were hard to distinguish from one another. You uh, know, the liberal and NDP. Um, so that wasn't helpful. But I do think as much as there's a, a, a important political element, okay, what's your policy? What, what's your messaging? What are you saying? What are you doing? There was a deeper problem, which I think is being interrogated right now, which is that at the grassroots level, the party had atrophied. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a hard time getting people out, getting people excited. Uh, that was in part, I think, because there was a poor effort at the grassroots to build up parties and ridings and to mobilize people between elections and at the election and to feed up the interests of the grassroots and of the communities that support the party into policy that reflected what the members or would-be members really wanted. And so it just never materialized. People just sort of didn't, didn't turn out. And I think now you're seeing uh, a pretty critical and public instantly yeah. a response to that where people are saying, okay, we've got to go and tear this thing down and build it back up in an image. Well, it wasn't just atrophy in now. some cases, right? It was. Or killed. It, yeah. <laughs> you killed know, him. I mean, you, that there was, there was at least in some cases, you know, pretty active interference from yes. the, 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 the establishment in terms of picking candidates or not allowing certain candidates to be picked. And, you know, every party does that. And I, and I'm not even saying that there aren't instances in where that maybe should be done. Because uh, ultimately, the the central party is going to bear the brunt of any major scandal revolving candidates. But um, it really seems like there was a lot of local activism that was trying to get done, maybe in spite. That's not to say that there wasn't atrophying. That's not to say that the party hasn't failed to build any sort of community connections and a lot of the rural ridings outside the north, you know. But um, there's a reason why a lot of people are upset. And I think in this election, less about policy. Like this isn't to say that there weren't specific policy failures, but you know, after 2015 in Mulcair, a lot of that hinged on policy, right? Mm-hmm. Like a lot of that was Mulcair ran the wrong policies and he did, he did. Um, he didn't, you know, the, we're, we're, we're not going to tax the rich. We're not going to run a deficit yet. We're still going to create these programs. Uh, it was simultaneously uh, too fantastical, but also not ambitious enough. Um, you know, all of that was focused on policy. 
this time, I think people thought the policy was certainly better than what most of the NDP had been offering since the Cold War, for being honest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but but let's but like but it was all organizational failures. It was all organizational failures. Right. Like that's that was the, the big one here. Um, no one was excited. And, and when people got excited, that excitement was often quashed by the central party, or at least that mm-hmm. was the perception from a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And, and there was, again, I mean, it's, it's funny, as, as you, I think you're right that there has been pressure to move the party left. And yet I think the gap, though, in what we're being offered and what we need is even increasing because yeah. what we, the, the needs are increasing so yeah. fast that even yeah. though the, the, the agenda looks far more left than, than it did years ago, it's like, well, that, that, that might have been enough. 20 years ago, 15 years yeah. ago, but my God, it's so bad now. You know, think about yeah. this just in terms of one specific thing on, you know, Ontario disability payments. You know, if, if you were to raise them by, what was the proposal, half mm-hmm. or something like that? By yeah, 50%. The, the NDP, the original one was, was I don't even know what it was. It was, it was embarrassing. Absolutely was, embarrassing. And they were guilted into, you know, raising yeah. it up and then they were going to wait. The Greens weren't going to wait. But the point is that, you know, that would still be a drop in the bucket compared to what's needed given the retrenchment that happened in the Harris years yeah. in the nineties. We're just not even keeping up to what, what it would have needed to be had things been left alone in the nineties, but now you have a massive yeah. change, which seems like a big deal is, is wildly inadequate. And, and yeah. that, that problem I think is indicative of a problem across areas. It's true yeah. about healthcare. It's true about transportation. It's true about education. It's true about climate because we've waited and underinvested and cut and retrenched for so long that now the leaps that we need are massive. And the NDP just, I, I think, didn't adequately make those leaps. Certainly didn't communicate the leaps that they were making. No, and didn't mobilize right. the grassroots. And so that was deeply frustrating for me to watch because yeah. I like you can only say it so many times. And, and no, one hundred percent, you're one hundred percent right. And I mean, it's also part of like the lowered expectations, right? Like this is. You know, I, I talked about this in my research. Like that was the goal of Pierre Trudeau, the you know Canada's, the, you know, really Canada's first neoliberal prime minister in some ways, and like to lower the expectations of what Canadians feel they deserve and what is possible. And the the NDP, both then and and maybe now even more, are victims of that, right? Where like mm-hmm. they get a sense both about what they feel the people want and what they feel like and what they what they themselves envision is 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 much more narrowed and so yes while jack layton we all you know who we all love on a very personal level ran his 2011 campaign on like atm fees we remember this mm-hmm. that was the campaign kickoff announcement horwath <laughs> ran on universal mental health care <laughs> something that you know you know uh, and and jack layton ran on uh atm fees so no one is suggesting that there hasn't been some movement but like <laughs> the idea that like it's enough. You're hundred percent, right? It, it's just, it's not, it's not there. And I don't even know if the people in the party know that. Right. And that's, what's frustrating. Mm-hmm. Deeply. Well, yeah. I, I also, cause we're, we're talking about this and this idea that, you know, that there was this issue with perhaps the NDP establishment that there was atrophying, but then maybe even, you know, really pushing down some uh, individuals or movements that were trying to move something forward. I want to understand, and maybe you can be my adult in the room right now, (laughs) David, because Christo's tried it. We're trying to figure it out. He's trying to explain to me. I still don't get why on earth would that still 
be the response from the NDP, seeing how Doug Ford has acted in uh, the past four years, seeing the real need for change. Like we're all saying here, there's such a need because of their material circumstances for hope and change, like now more than ever, even when you have universal policies, it doesn't fucking help if you can't follow through on it and, and push it even further. Why on earth do you think the, the current NDP, the, the project of uh, progressivism here in Canada, seems to be failing so much at that one simple idea of just, you know, we need to actually give people something to hope for because everything's kind of crumbling? Well, I mean, I'm speculating because I don't, I don't know the the logic. Of course, of course. You know, this is my speculation, but I think part of it is, you know, certainly in Ontario, is that the party's afraid of its own shadow, and yeah. and probably is still a little bit shaken from the '90s. I mean, there's still a lot yeah. of hangover from from the Bob Ray government. Yeah. Um, I think there's a broader concern that well, look, we can't own leftism because it's scary for people. You know, there's long been a kind of war on socialism. It's been bound up with the Soviet Union and the excesses of imperialism, of communist imperialism and uh, you know, domestic crimes of, of, of communist states. That's not entirely true, by the way. People, are, you know, people's perceptions of what socialism in, uh, is has have changed. Yeah. But I think there's that. I think that worry is deep. I really do. And yeah, they I think, think Russia is socialist right now, right? Isn't that the idea? Yeah, there, oh there, was, a yeah, well, yeah. there was a Gallup poll done, uh, at least in the U.S., that a, a plurality of people said socialism best described of uh, Russia's economic system. I think it was something like 30, 40 percent of people. Uh, uh, oh, boy. So 20, 20 some said capitalism correctly. And then a few people said neither, basically, which less wrong than the first but yeah yeah, yeah neither is, is is yeah is defensible i suppose but yeah and this is i think that's part of it and, and then of course i also think that there's a kind of institutional inertia that emerges with any institution that has you know people who are interested in preserving space people who have positions of leadership they want to keep and think in particular ways and talk to the same people over and over again and people who you know focus group and poll everything to death not realizing that, you know, part of the goal of, of a political party isn't just to reflect back what they think focus groups and, and polls say, but to lead on them, right? To move the numbers, not just to, to pander to them. And so I think a lot of that stuff is conspiring to keep that, that down. And the federal NDP is an interesting case study too, because I mean, they won't even say the word socialism, uh, right? I mean, I, I remember, yeah. uh, you know, it was taken out of the constitution. That's one note, right? That was years ago, yeah. uh, the Mulcair yeah. years. But also, I, you know, I, I would love someone to say to ask Jagmeet Singh, you know, are you a socialist? If so, why? And if not, why not? I asked Matthew Green. He said, yes, I am. I asked Leah Gazan. She said, yes, I am for a piece yeah. of Jackman a little while ago. But I think most NDP MPs probably wouldn't own that moniker yeah. or be able to articulate why they do or don't. So uh, I, I think there's a, that broader problem of, of owning a leftism and then um, distinguishing yourself from the alternatives. And I think uh, there is a, there's a fundamental question the NDP needs to ask federally and in most provincial uh, federated bodies, which is, uh, what is the fundamental goal of the party and how is that a, distinct from the liberals? Because often it starts to look like there's an awful lot of similarity, at least in the fun, on, on some things. I'm not saying they're the same. They're not. I'm not saying it doesn't matter who wins. It does. But to casual observers, yeah, they don't they're not thinking about it like they this. have to do a better job, even 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 beyond changing the policies, it's selling them. Right. Because there are. Substantive, yeah. And I mean, like selling the voting records, there's a reason why. 
Yes. You know, the liberals and conservatives uh, seem to vote for back to work legislation. Uh, there's a reason why, you know, the, the NDP and they try to do this on social media every now and then you see it. But like they need to do a better job. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. You know, one, they, they have to make the policies different to really be different. Hundred percent. But like when it comes down to it, like I don't think the average NDP universe voter, you know, when they do those like accessible universe and the NDP's universe is often larger than the conservatives. Um, it's often about half the population is willing to vote for the NDP. Um, often less about a third of that half votes for the NDP in practicality, though. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the question becomes, how do you get the the second third of that half to vote for you to start flirting with government? And maybe it's about, you know, creating those differentiations, um, because uh, a lot of people one. Uh, because the NDP doesn't run on progressive enough policy uh, or correctly say, well, the NDP is not that different from the liberals, but two, there's a, a failure, I think on the left, but some of this is big, baked into media as well to show the, the, the right wing nature of the liberal party. Right. And one of the challenges with that, however, and I, I, I see this a lot is that voters really push back on that. And I think that's something that the party needs to look at. A lot of people take left wing criticism of Trudeau uh, as as indistinguishable from polyevrian criticism of Trudeau, <laughs> and in this context, it makes it difficult. Uh, you see that a lot on yep. social media, and I think that's something the NDP has to figure a way around. How do you slam Trudeau without without you know angering people for quote unquote taking sides with the cons? Even though when if you look at Hansard voting, um, you know the the liberals and conservatives vote together quite frequently. Which no one's going to do, look at Hansard, yeah. right? Like, as you're indicating, they've yeah. got to be able to make that message because nobody's looking at Hansard. And I think, no. you know, it's also a time to be angry. I, I was saying this with the caveat that yep. this is gendered. You know, and, Andrea mm-hmm. Horvath has been yep. criticized. Well, ah, she's just an angry woman. And it's deeply sexist and deeply gendered. That, that said, um, the party and its candidates in general need to reflect the, the anger and frustration that, yeah. and anxiety of the people. You know, if it had been me up there on stage, I would have been spitting blood and acid. Yep. I mean, uh, Shriner did that to even just mild Shriner, absolutely. Yeah. Mild. And, and, and in his way, in this sort yeah. of like, you know, very, you know, you know, avuncular way. It's a very Guelph way uh, of doing it, honestly. A very Guelph way of doing that. You know, no buildings taller than people church, like it. no Walmarts. Yeah. People like it because they're pissed. And I think, yeah. you know, and rightfully so. And I think it reflects... Uh, a little bit what you saw with Polly after a certain extent, it, it, you know, it reflects Bernie Sanders and a lot of the appeal of oh, Bernie yeah, Sanders. Yes. Politics. He's just mad all the time about everything. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, there's a lot of stuff to be mad about. And, and I think, you know, being able to go out there and to reflect that will be valuable, especially now, you know, 2015 federally, that wasn't the kind of angry election, not, you know, this 2025 yeah. very well, maybe 2022 in Ontario should have been, I mean, Horwath was angrier. She was more passionate in 2018. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. she was right. Like, I look, and I, she did get some of that. She did get some of that. Um, that 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 gendered, that gendered uh, pressure, and uh, you know, interrupting in a debate in a way that 
I think yeah. if a man did it, probably wouldn't have got as much criticism, all of that. But I well, feel Singh like Singh gets that too, though, just racially as well. Like anytime he has people spitting that he should be killed, he has to just kind of smile at them <laughs> as he goes into a car and they're banging on the door. So like it is, yeah. you know, federally, yeah. that that's also a really yeah. tough, unfortunate but thing. But she to... was she was more passionate in the first election. And I think yeah. that was one of the look, it didn't ultimately get over the finish line because the other fundamental issues were there. But I think that like I think how how that first campaign was run uh, was was maybe what's one of the reasons why the NDP still finished second, but lost seats. That might have been one of the reasons. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, a little bit more anger, a little bit more uh, passion in that sense from the top would have maybe mobilized more people to get out. Because, again, we could talk about this, like all the parties, all the major parties struggled to get voters out. But the NDP, especially with like the 800,000 people didn't vote. Most of those people didn't go to other parties. Mm-hmm. They, just, they didn't go anywhere. Like those were those are voters that if they voted, would have voted for the NDP. Like that's. And that makes guarantee. me go crazy because it's just like, why not try to do the thing then? Why? Why yeah. not give it a chance? Maybe make yourself a little more distinct from yeah. the liberals here. Like, why not? I just I, it boggles the mind. Is it really like, David, do you really think it is just, you know, there is such an established way of, of doing things politically here in Ontario and maybe even Canada at large. And, or is it like you said, just there's so much of a holdover of people that were around trying to distance themselves from the Ray days. Like, it just seems like if we didn't have it now in this instance, after we're facing Doug Ford, I don't know what is going to push the NDP to actually do it. Well, a new leader might. I mean, there's going to be a moment, right? There's someone else who's going to do it. I don't know who it's going to be, but someone's going to do it. Um, That could be that moment. The fact is, these are heavily leader-driven parties in our our country, in our province. It's how they work. Heavily centralized. They take on the, it's like tofu. They're going to take on the flavor of of whatever you cook it beside. And what you're cooking it beside is the leader. And so, so there's an opportunity there to, to really shake things up. And, you know, think, for instance, how would, say, I don't know, Charlie Angus, say he was the leader of the Ontario NDP in the election. How, how would he have run that election? What, what would that have looked like? Say Matthew Green, yeah. you know, had been the leader or, you know, Leah Gazan. Like, what would that, I mean, she's not from Ontario, but you get the idea. Yeah. Yes. You know, what, what would that have looked like? And you start thinking, okay, what if that person was there? What if that person was there? What if that person, what if, what if Joel Harden was there? What if Catherine yeah. Fife was there? Whomever. And you say, okay, the party looks different. And then you start yeah. to say, okay, well then who, who matches the moment? And you start to get some ideas. And so I think part of it is that, you know, breaking out of the torpor requires a change. And here's the thing, Andrea Horvath, you know, busted her ass in the party for a long time. She was a leader for a long time. Uh, she brought some successes to the party, including official yeah. opposition. Um, she was there a long time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, it, this is part of very a, long a broader time problem. Politics, a very yeah. long time. Yeah. And it's not just an NDP problem. This is certainly actually more of a problem for other parties. You know, leaders stay an awful long time. And we've got this weird thing in Canada where in some cases, parties go through leaders just way too fast. You know, it's one and done. And other yeah. times they just stay on for too long and it drags forever. And it's a kind of a fascinating Canadian thing, especially with executives, because in, say, for instance, the UK, you have very long serving MPs and short serving PMs, which is actually not too bad. Here you have the opposite problem, right? And, and mm-hmm. it produces a lot of problems. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And we not don't a have party in power. Don't have, they don't, I know the Conservatives have that new procedure that they use to turf O'Toole, but by and large, we don't have the leadership spills like in Australia, right? Where like, you know, you're going to chuck up a, a prime. The closest thing we had 
was the one party state of Alberta, you know, <laughs> yes. pre pre NDP win where they, they did, there would be all these internal stabbings of, of premiers because uh, the opposition didn't matter. Right. Like the opposition <laughs> was, was the backbench, right? Like that was the opposition, but you're right. I think that the next leader is going to play a big role. Right. Um, with that, I mean, one thing, I don't know what you're thinking, but already there's a lot of debates about this. A lot of people are asking about when the debate is actually, or when the leadership is actually going to happen. And uh, the party, some in the party seem to be pushing for November, uh, but uh, already uh, people are pushing back against that, including the OFL, mm-hmm. Larry Savage, you know, labor studies prof from Brock, um, basically uh, said that the, the OFL is pushing for something in the spring. So I want to know what you think. Uh, uh, David, balancing, you know, not not doing the Mulcair is going to stick around for half the term thing, but but also, you know, giving people some time to get a leadership. Like, what's your vision of like how a leadership race should should full unfold? I'm always a fan of time. Uh, I'm always a fan of time, unless there is you know the pressing need of of a potential election, which there simply isn't. The Doug Ford yeah. government isn't going anywhere between now and the next four years. They've got a majority. They're sticking around. Uh, I like the model of you adopt an interim leader. Um, so you clear the decks, you don't have the old leader hanging around too long. <laughs> Jason Kenny, yeah. um, God forbid the premier. Uh, and, and then you give people time to organize and to build the party because look, a leadership race is more than, than selecting a leader. It's also growing the party, right? It's a chance to get people to come in from all over the place and get to know the party and, and to define what the party is going to be because the leader is so important that you want to have a chance to debate policy and to have new folks come in and have a real, you know, raucous uh, contest. And so I like, I like time for that purpose. And the other thing that time does is it gives, uh, you know, lesser known candidates a chance to come to organize, to enter the contest and to get a little bit known and bring new ideas and perspectives in a way that if you, that doesn't happen if you do it quickly, because then there's a huge advantage to people with high name recognition. So I'm, I'm a fan of having a little bit of time. I think that'd be better for the party. I think so too. And a lot of good examples were brought up in that, in that uh, I'm, I'm pro this OFL letter. One, it was a lot of collective bargaining uh, in, uh, in the fall with the 124 going away, um, mm. municipal elections, all of that. I, I, I definitely think that, they should be waiting now some cynical people maybe not without reason maybe they're not even being cynical some people are suggesting that this might be an effort if the party does have a quote-unquote establishment candidate although it's not exactly clear who that would be uh who's running what have you uh it would be an effort to try to get that person in before say an outsider or you know a firebrand could build that momentum right mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that's speculation at this point. Uh, Andy, mm-hmm. you said you had a couple questions from the discord. Maybe we can yeah, just fire so those off. Yeah. Once again, patreon.com slash left in Canada, join a little discord and you can ask us some questions, David, a couple of questions for you. Just first off was just, who do you think looks good for NDP leadership at this point and can kind of bring us to that moment. So that's a, a really quick one from a lot of people, but Vimar has asked a more extended question. I think's very, uh, very applicable here. You know, you talked about this idea we needed someone who could speak to that anger that so many people are feeling because of our material circumstances. What can individuals do? VMARS, VMARS asks, who are feeling that there needs to be a change, that want to be progressive. How can we best apply pressure on the NDP to go left? And again, do you see any leaders, possible leaders who look good? 
So I say this as someone who's now you know outside the the party structure. I, I, I never had an NDP membership years and years and years ago. I had a liberal membership federally and provincially. This was years and years and years ago. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Uh, pure, you know, a pure Trudeau liberal. Yeah, we we uh, all we all made we, we all made we all had that phase. Our youth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, and so I, you know, I say this, I, I gen, I deliberately don't engage in party politics because I I'm doing a different thing, but, um, you know, as a rule, I think if you, your goal is to engage in that process and you want to do it directly, uh, it's simply to get involved in the, in your, in your writing, yeah. um, mm-hmm. and, and to try to be a part of the writing association to try to influence it directly to, to organize around it. If you want to be outside of that, you can also do that with with um, social movements and organizations around it, which also has an effect, obviously, um, because again, I do think there's there's an awful lot of power there. And I remember, you know, from my writing association days, I'm like, these are the people who determine a lot of what happens uh, locally and then provincially or federally, as the case may be. There's a lot of power there, and that's one of the best ways to do it. And and I, in some ways, I miss it. Um, mm. it's, it's sort of inconsistent with what I'm doing now. So I can't do both, but I do miss it because you, you realize that you actually have uh, uh, influence. If you end up on the executive, you have a vote. Incidentally, it's also the reason people get so frustrated when the central yeah. party comes in and stomps on what they're doing. Like we're doing yeah. something here. <laughs> it's like, you know, imagine you're, you're building yeah. something out of Lego and your parents come down and they're like, I, let me just uh, fix this for you. And you're like, I'm building a truck and you, you know, you just built a fire station. <laughs> yeah. It's not, yep. you know, I was doing a different thing. Like, no, this is better. And um, you know, it's deeply frustrating to people, but, but so I, I would say do that. And also, you know, if, if every riding association in the province or, you know, at least a, a significant plurality, if not majority of them said, we're not going to tolerate the central party pushing us around. We're going to bring it up at convention. We're going to bring it up by writing. We're going to bring it up, you know, through the media. We're not going to tolerate it. The central party would have to have a serious think about what they wanted to do. Right. And so, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of power there, especially in the era where there's a lot of organizing going on all over the place that is heavily networked in spaces, you know, uh, which leverages you know, things like Discord, right? Yeah. Um, there's lots of Discord chats out there, uh, or yeah. you know, Twitter Spaces, as the as uh, Justin McLean and others did recently with the, the ONDP, and uh, that's really powerful. So I, I think that's a great way to do it. Uh, I don't know about the leadership. I mean, I this is just I would have loved to see someone like Matthew Green do it. He said mm-hmm. he's not going to do it, and I don't I don't blame him. Um, you know, <laughs> I think everyone thinks it's going to be Joel Harden, or at least Joel Harden's the sort of front runner. Um, I that, certainly think uh, he's going to represent the left if he runs. I think um, so. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's, and I think he would have a chance to win. I do. I do. I think so too. And, and I, I would like to see that kind of proper left represented. Um, I, I guess Catherine Fife might, I, I, yeah. I don't know Styles enough about her run as well. Merit Styles. Yeah. Who's, who's, I think, you know, it's, it's fascinating because, um, you know, she obviously has a, a tremendous amount of, of credibility and experience and, and capacity. Yeah. And so she can be quite interesting. I'd be curious to see what kind of platform she puts forward, yeah. uh, you know, just how left that would be. If you mm-hmm. say, you know, and, and whether or not she can capture the, the, the sort of anger of the, of the moment or not, because, uh, which I'm not saying she can't, she very well no. could, but I'd be curious to see that. Um, so those are the sort of names that are floating around. That's not novel. That's sort of what everybody's saying, yeah. but I do think 
the more the merrier. I do think, well, to a certain yeah, point, if they can get four or five good candidates out there who are ready to go and have a proper party debate, that'd be great. Because one of them, you know what's crazy? The conservatives, when they do these things, actually have ideologically distinct debates about the future of their party. Yep. <laughs> and that's great. Some of it's crazy. Like Pierre Paul, <laughs> like, but, but if you look at the national leadership race right now, I'm like, there's a big difference between Leslie Lewis yeah. and Pierre Polyev and Jean Charest and yeah. Patrick Brown and Roman Baber. And like, you know, they're like, you go up there like, oh, they, they and Scott Atchison, like they, they disagree about things. You're very, very representative if you're conservative, right? You like Exactly. The NDP needs here. that. The yeah. NDP needs that. All right. That well, I, think, I think they were going to end it there. And I think we can't agree. The NDP does need people running it that can absolutely represent those of the diverse opinions because we've kind of had the same sort of folks for a while now so yeah. thank you again david so much for for talking with us about uh, let us know where you where we can find you on social media let us know about your book right well you can find me on social media at uh, david underscore mosscrop that's my twitter my book is called too dumb for democracy question mark into its third printing the little book that could still Nicely going uh, still selling three years and a bit uh, after it was published and uh, you can get that wherever books are sold. You can also get it at libraries. I would encourage folks to use you know, your local independent seller if you can. And if you can't afford it, buy it at your mom and pop Amazon. Give Bezos the money. The guy's trying to get to the moon or oh. Mars or some shit. You know, you need yeah. to like get.